0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning church. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. It's 2021. How did we get here? Um, We've made it through 2020 and I want to start off this year, I want to start off in a place of hope. It's a weird way to start off the year If for no other reason than the fact I'm talking to the camera and there was no one else here, certainly as a church, I don't think we've ever started a year like this. What a weird way to start the year. What a weird time we are living in. But this morning, I want to focus in on hope. I want to focus in on the plan God has for us. And so I want to start off by reading Isaiah 54, the first five verses. They will come up on the screen. Sing, barren women, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities." Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. I want to pause right here after reading these verses to watch a little video to get some context for this passage. Uh, Context is really important when we're reading the Bible because it informs us of so much more than just what the words are saying. It tells us about what's going on at the time, what the writer is speaking into. The change of mood between Isaiah 53. And isaiah 54 is abrupt because the servant 's task is fulfilled. the triumph in, a, in the last couple of verses in isaiah 53 it leads to this hymn of praise welcoming in this dawn of a new age. In fact it 's a crazy though the first verse is just mental when you look at it in, in Hebrew, it starts with only two words: barren and rejoice, and these are two ends of the emotional spectrum. And you know, nothing, nothing brings sorrow like being barren. Yet God promises through this verse and through many other verses in the Bible that even in our greatest sorrow, there can be a song of joy. And this is the place right now where Israel finds itself. It's in exile. It is spiritually barren. But within this verse, God also provides the remedy for that spiritual barrenness. It says, says, barren woman, rejoice, sing. Why? Because worship, worship is the remedy for our spiritual barrenness. Isn't that crazy? The song of triumph, the shout of joy, spiritual barrenness is broken by this, by the power of worship. And we know, don't we, that where God's people are held back in worship, spiritual barrenness soon follows. Why? Why? Because when we stop drawing from the well, who is him, who is God, who's the great I am Yahweh, when we stop drawing from him, we run dry. Our worship has the power to bring us back to life, spiritually. Sometimes worship actually does it physically too. Worship in this season, guys, is important not just about singing. We so often limit worship to just singing, but it's about giving it all to God. I've been very surprised actually. I've always been someone who most often connects to God the most with my guitar. It's not been like that in this season. It's been about putting on worship music and going for walks. That's been my worship, but worship it has been because it has been about me going to the Father with everything I'm carrying and and drawing from him, replenishing myself from him. That is worship. It's about giving him worth, about giving him everything. You know, worship has always been important in my life. And I, I actually, this morning, I want to tell you about a time in Bible college that I don't talk about very often because I'm not very proud of it. But it's a, it's a time It was I was in my third year and I lost faith. There was a whole set of circumstances going on that I will not bore you with. And rather than deal with them and rather than really address all the different causes for why I'd found myself in the place I found myself in, I decided to just blame God, decide that actually I didn't want to believe in him anymore, that if he was actually real, which I was sincerely doubting at the time, that I didn't really want to, so even if he was real, I didn't want anything to do with him because how could a good God be like this? Surely not. But I found myself in this really crazy place where I had changed, but at 18, I'd given my life fully to God. I'd, I'd given my life to Jesus when I was about 13, 14, but at 18, I made a decision to go off to Bible college, devote my whole life to him. And that set me on a very specific pass, uh, path, to, essentially to become a missionary. I was at a missionary training college. I have a degree in applied theology and in intercultural context. Being a missionary, bringing the bible to different places that's my degree that's what i was being trained in and that training is not good for much else (laughs) and so i found myself in this place where i was two and a half years into a three-year degree where i'd 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 taken all my government loans to do it i I couldn't stop and retrain and do something else and i was like i've I've just made a mess of my life i don't want to work at asda all the time what am i gonna do i don't believe in this god that i have devoted my life to what am i gonna do And so I thought about it and I thought dropping out is a real waste of that education. It's a waste of that money that I spent on this. I might as well get a degree out of this and then, I don't know, become a teacher and do RE or something. That was my great plan. And so I decided, even though the fact that I'd lost faith, I decided to remain at Bible College and um, just try and get the degree. Um, I didn't believe, I was like, I don't believe anything I'm learning about anymore. I don't believe any essay I'm writing, but I just need to get that degree and I'll be off. Six months, six months more, and I'll be done. The problem being that um, my Bible college had written into the degree, because it's a Bible college and they know the importance of devotion and and spending time together in worship, that you had to go to a certain level of devotions, Wednesday worship, essentially a church service um, in the college. You had to go to a certain level of them, a certain amount of them, in order to pass your degree. So... Not only did I have to keep going to these lectures and writing these essays, but then I also kept having to go to devotions, i.e. church. And so what would happen was I'd go in every Wednesday, and it'd be like an hour or two at these devotions. And what would happen, we'd we'd, we'd worship together. And what would happen was I'd stand up and I'd have my arms crossed. And uh, I I just didn't want to be there. Everything within me was like, I hate this, this is awful. Why are they singing to this God that I don't believe in? And what would happen as I maybe stopped paying so much attention to how much I hated being there, my arm would fling up or I'd start singing along to a song. And I'm like, and and I was like, what the flip is going on? Because I don't, I don't want to be here. And yet I keep finding myself worshipping. And what was happening was my spirit, my spirit who knew who the father was, my spirit who was connected to him and was hurting just like I was hurting and was crying out and saying, Lord, I need you. I want you. I worship you. And then my emotions, my physical side were saying, no, this is wrong. And they were on this constant battle every Wednesday, for, honestly, for about two, three months. Every Wednesday, I'd have this battle. And eventually, you might know that this, my spirit won out. But it won out because I was kept being forced into. I was kept play, being placed in the, in, the, in, the, in the place of worship. Because worship breaks spiritual barrenness. Where I was empty, where I had run dry, where, where my understanding of God had failed me, my understanding of God had failed me. In that spiritual barren place, worship brought new life and brought me back. It was worship that brought me back. It was worship that broke my spiritual barrenness because spiritual barrenness is broken by the power of worship. It goes further. This passage goes further. It says, "It says not only worship, but prepare yourself, enlarge the place of your tent." These, uh, this imagery is very nomadic. It's talking to people in exile, and it's saying, "You know, you're in exile now. It's not for long. It's temporary." So the imagery I'm using is temporary. But it's also referring back to Abraham and it's saying, remember the promises I said to Abraham all those years ago. I made a covenant with Abraham and I will not break my covenant. Our God is a God who doesn't break his promises. It says this in the Passion Translation, increase is coming. So enlarge your tent and add extensions to your dwelling. Hold nothing back. Make the tent ropes longer and the pegs stronger. Prepare yourself what I am about to do enlarge the place of your tents, widen it up, prepare yourself. I have a really good friend called Steph Cox and uh, over the summers a while back, we used to run the kids tent at David's tent together. And uh, she has this incredible, incredible analogy um, for kids about how good God is. And so what she does is she calls a kid up and says, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna give you a sweet, and put your hand out. And the first kid always puts just like maybe one hand out, maybe two if they are uh, a little wiser. (laughs) And and what she does is she goes, get ready, I'm going to bless you. And what she does is she pours, she gets like a bucket of sweet and pours it over the kid. And the kid, if they've only got one hand out, doesn't get all of it. And then so she calls up, and whatever they catch, they can take back to their seat. And so she says, does anyone else want to come and be blessed? And so she picks another person and they come like ready, like holding their t-shirt out, ready to to catch the blessing, to catch the sweets. Are you prepared to catch the blessing? Are you prepared to catch the sweets? I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know our God is a God who provides and who loves to bless And what I believe he is saying to Israel here is he's saying increase is coming. I am a God who wants to fulfill my promises. I'm a God who wants to do good things. Prepare yourself for it. You know, I don't know what it's gonna look like, what God's blessing will look like for us. We quite often read these passages when we're talking about um, churches growing physically, don't we? I think it's about far, you know, far more than this. I think it's about a God who, who longs to bless. And so maybe it's financial, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's spiritual, maybe, maybe it's emotional, I don't know. I've just added a lot of, in all words in there. But, but what I'm saying is that our God is a, a God who loves to provide, who loves to bless. So are you prepared to receive it? Because if you go with just like a hand barely open out, He can only fill it up so much. But if you are preparing yourself, if you're saying, God, I am here for you, pour out your blessings upon me, I don't think he can resist the offer. He's a God he keeps his promises. His desire to bless hasn't changed. This God that we read about, and why it's important that we read the Old Testament is that we see, don't we? In Isaiah 53, we read about the Saviour that is promised. It is so clear to us it's Jesus. I mean, when you read it, you're like, man, they he really did tell us what was going to happen. His desire to bless hasn't changed. His desire to provide a way for you hasn't changed. His promises... have not changed I want to say to this uh, say this to us as a church guys his promises over us as a church haven't changed our understanding what they may look like and how they may be realized might change but his plans his promises his purposes they have not changed over us as a church, our God is a God who keeps his promises. He's the God who pr- promises to restore the years the locusts have eaten. Why? Because your maker is your husband. The one who created you wants to be intimate with you. He wants to love you. He wants to spend time with you. His name is Yahweh, commander of angel armies, your kinsman, redeemer, the holy one of Israel. He has the title, mighty God of all the earth. So why wouldn't he keep his promises? If this is who our God is, why wouldn't he keep his promises? He's good. He longs to bless. He longs to provide. I don't know who this is for, but I feel very prompted to tell this analogy. It's, it's something that's said me very well. And it's something I keep going back to. And it's very simple. It says this. Uh, There's a man who has a pair of shoes that are great. They're comfortable. When he walks to them, it's beautiful. And then his feet grow. And no longer are these beautiful, comfortable shoes serving him well. When he walks, they hurt. You know, they're falling apart. And yet at that point, he has three choices. He can choose to say, I'm going to ignore the fact that these shoes are hurting me. I'm going to continue to walk on. I'm just going to ignore where it hurts. I love these shoes. They've done me well so far. I'm not going to give up on them. He could choose to say, actually, do you know what? These shoes hurt me now. Get out of here, shoes. I don't want you anymore. I'm not going to wear any shoes anymore ever again. Don't like shoes. They've hurt me. I don't like them. Get out of here. It's very dramatic if you choose that option, apparently. (laughs) Or he could choose to say, these shoes, they served me well, but now they hurt, and they're no longer fit for purpose. Maybe it's time to get a new pair of shoes. I don't know where you find yourself at the beginning of this year. But I feel very prompted to talk about hope because maybe there's a few of us who are despairing, who are going, what on earth is happening in our world? What on earth is happening? God, why haven't you provided? Maybe there's a situation in your family where you're like, God, are you going to pull through for me? I don't know what's going on, but what I do know is that if the God that you understand God to be it's beginning to hurt. Your faith is pushing up against it. It's being challenged in certain areas. Then you've got three choices. You can continue to walk on with it, with it, with a small view of God, where where it doesn't quite fit, and ignore the places it doesn't fit. You can choose to throw it off. It didn't particularly work for me. Or you can choose to go. Actually, it's maybe time for a new pair of shoes. Maybe it's time to adapt to my faith. God, would you show me who you are again? Would you create a new understanding in me? Would you challenge me on the things that I need challenging on? I want to start this year with hope. And I believe God has great things for us in this year. And no matter what the world tells me is going to happen this year, no matter what, I know that this year, God has promises he wants to fulfill in me. Why? Because that is who he is. It's just who he is. He's a God who years before, years before, when when Israel in exile and just a crazy place, years before, he says, I will give you a savior. Let's start this year with hope. And so I want to finish today by reading these verses in fact these are verses when I, I remember the first time the bible really spoke to me not just when it which, you know that that moment that the bible starts being words on a page and god talking to you these were the first words that i read that and that happened for and so i'm going to read them to you because i think it's a great reminder of who our god is and it's a great reminder just to kind of establish ourself in hope because this is who our god is Let me read this to you. Now, this is what Yahweh says. Listen, Jacob. By the way, I'm going to pause there for two seconds. Anytime in the Bible you see Jacob or Israel, place your own name in because God is talking to you. So I'm going to read it again. This is what Yahweh says. Listen, Amy, to the one who created you, Amy, to the one who shaped who you are, do not fear for I, your kinsman redeemer, will rescue you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the deep stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through the raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution, like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. For I am your savior, Yahweh, your mighty God, the Holy One of Israel. I give up Egypt as the price to set you free, Kush and Seba in exchange to bring you back, since you are cherished and precious in my eyes. And because I love you dearly and want to honor you, I willingly give up nations in exchange for you, a man to save your life. That's what he did. He kept his promise, he gave us Jesus. And so now why don't we head on into communion as Nathan leads us. That's who our God is, a God who keeps his promises and a God that we can